Atomic Moms podcast is a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our little ones and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week I celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and caregivers all over the world. You can find us on social media at Atomic Moms. Check out our Facebook page. Uh, always putting up new articles there and on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, check out our website, AtomicMoms.com. Hi, everybody. Okay, I turned off the air conditioning in my home because it makes this rattling sound and I don't want it for the intro. So I'm going to try and like blaze through this because my husband is like sweating and wondering what I'm doing sitting in my daughter's closet for the best sound. Okay, last night, that husband, my husband, Adam, and I, uh, we Netflixed and chilled. I uh, forced him into watching the new Tony Robbins documentary titled Not Your Guru. So Tony Robbins is an internationally famous motivational speaker. Just Google image him like you know who he is. He's six foot seven. He's got this really deep voice. And this particular documentary follows him for one week at his Date with Destiny seminar. Um, It kind of sounds like a prom theme, actually, Date with Destiny. Anyway, if you're a Tony Robbins, like, hardcore person, please don't write me and say that I, I was mean. I'm not being mean. I'm sharing... Uh, a message from that documentary that I found particularly helpful. Okay, so during the seminar, uh, this is the beginning of the film, there's a girl who stands up and she says she has a hard time like taking care of herself um, with her diet. And this is the crazy question he throws back at her. And I want you to listen to it because I want you to answer it too. So she's asking about food and like how she can start eating at the right times of day, okay? And this is what he asks. Whose love did you crave most? Your mother's or your father's? So we're going from food as an adult to let's go back to when you were a child and your own parents. Okay, so I looked up the definition of crave and it's to yearn for or to ask for earnestly. It's clearly a word you use when you're not getting enough of it. So whose love did you crave most, your mother's or your father's? And then Tony Robbins follows up with, what did you have to be for that person to accept and love you? What did you have to think or do to gain their approval? And it's the answers to these questions that Tony believes are the root of how we develop our identity. So we don't want to shape our child's identity, their sense of self, based on what they think they need to do in order to get our approval, right? Of course not. That sounds like it's totally ridiculous. But isn't that how we have parented unconsciously for so many generations? The logic being, if you're a good girl, If you're the best on the baseball team, if you get into a top college, then you'll be loved. No parent ever says that to their child, but somehow that message is still getting across. Of course, the parent would say that they love the child unconditionally no matter what. But a child can pick up these little cues that maybe that's not true. We cannot leave our child craving for us. Take it or leave it, but 
I believe my child's sense of self was planted in her the day she was born, and it's my job to have such a secure relationship with her that she does not change who she is for me, but rather it's my job to support her in growing into the best version of herself. Ever since I released part one of our Separation Anxiety series with Jennifer Waldberger, I've been thinking a lot about attachment and about how we can nurture a profound parent-child connection. And then I realized that while we've never had an official episode on connection, it's a theme that runs throughout every interview. Recently, I got to sit at the feet of Dr. Robin Berman. Literally, we were all in a living room. It was so cool. It was packed with all these mothers and all different stages of parenting. And so I was sitting on the rug and like she was right out there uh, in the chair. She was so cool. Anyway, uh, she asked us, what is the rhythm of your family life? The Greek root of rhythm is flow. And when peak performers are in flow, it's like they're not working at all. And look, I don't, I, I could not care less about sports. I don't know anything about sports. I'm semi-obsessed with the mental state and rituals of top athletes. Uh, there's a great podcast you should check out called Defining, no, what's it called? Oh, it's called Finding Mastery. <laughs> I love it. It's with the the sports psychologist, Michael Gervais. Anyway, so when athletes or when artists or when parents are in the flow, it just all comes together naturally and with ease. Again, the root of rhythm is flow. So let's tap into the natural rhythm of our relationships because parenting is hard, right? Quite frankly, it can be a real pain in the ass. But if we can get in the flow more of the time, we can work way less and enjoy our children way more. So when the rhythm of my family life is discordant, I'm pretty sure that's the word, it's usually because I'm trying to pick up everybody else's tempo. Look, I'm lucky. My toddler loves to eat. Her favorite food is sauerkraut, but she is also such a slow eater. Like I. I've stopped eating lunch with friends because they're super slow eaters. Obviously, I can't do that with my child. So I've got to learn to respect her tempo, right? She's not like being a slow eater on purpose. It's just her tempo. And so I can either get her little bottom in that chair for breakfast earlier, um, or I can mess up the rhythm of our family by trying to manipulate her natural tempo, which of course leads to her resistance and yelling, and then we're all frazzled before preschool. Um, respecting the natural tempo is probably more the way to go. In this episode, I'm going to share excerpts from interviews with parenting experts. Excerpts from experts. <laughs> Uh, they will touch not only on the importance of the parent-child relationship, the parent-child connection, but also give some tools for either repairing yours or making it even stronger. Atomic Moms guest Erica Christakis believes that relationships are what matter most in the early years of development. I'd say she knows what she's talking about because she's an early childhood expert. She's been a preschool teacher and director and lecturer with the Yale's Child Study Center. She's also the author of this year's New York Times bestseller, The Importance of Being Little, What Preschoolers Really Need from Grownups. She calls that book a roadmap for parents, teachers, and policymakers. And in this excerpt from our conversation earlier this year, 
it's clear that one key component of having a profound parent-child relationship is, I mean, guys, a key component. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but I think we should just go ahead and say it. We need to take note of who our child really is. You know, when I wrote the book, I was really kind of trying to channel some of the observations that I've made as a teacher and as a parent and that I've learned from others. I've learned a lot of wisdom from really great teachers over the years. Um, And the one thing I've learned is that, you know, good educators, good parents, they tend to be good observers. You know, they tend to really know their children. Uh, And I think that's a huge step that, you know, sometimes we kind of overlook because we turn to the experts to tell us what our kid is supposed to do, which is sort of what you said at the beginning of this conversation. Um, And really, we need to just observe without judgment, you know, when we're relaxed, when we have time, we just have to kind of tune in more, um, which unfortunately means we need to put down the iPhones. And I'm sure you knew that I wouldn't be able to get through a conversation without saying that. No, let's talk uh, about it. You know, it's tough. I mean, I, my kids joke with me because they're in their 20s now, um, you know, that they would <laughs> they would have starved if, if I had had um, an iPhone when they were little. You yeah. know, it's it's really, I mean, I'm joking, but it's, it's actually very, uh, it's very challenging, I think, to be present with all of the distractions. Oh, my lordy. Yeah, there are so many distractions. I'd say that's a big uh, problem with most of my relationships, actually. Um, because my, luckily, I'm really lucky in this, actually, my toddler will flip out on me when I'm on my phone. Like, that's when the milk spills. That's when, five minutes later, she throws a tantrum because I wasn't paying attention. So, luckily, I have a child who voices her uh, disapproval of my disconnection (laughs) when I'm on my phone. Um, But so, recently, I've been checking my phone when when, when I first wake up in the morning. And now I'm like really pissing my husband off because he'll wake up and I'll already be jacked up on like emails and looking at the news. And um, God knows there's so much horrible news out there these days. Um, And so he'll lean over for like a hug or a cuddle. And like, I don't want to cuddle after reading CNN. And so there's no opportunity for connection. And really, when I think about it, as I'm sweating in my daughter's closet, again, best acoustics in the house um, with no AC right now because then it will rattle. Um, I'm thinking like, is it really worth the missed hugs? I think I'll just start taking super long bathroom breaks instead. And then I can like check my phone then, right? Anyway, okay. So back to Erica Christakis and one of the most important aspects of connection. Okay, here she is. And it's this idea of being present. But I think if parents understand that that observational quality is so important to relationships where you really know a child. Because if you think about, um, let's say you have a partner that you've been with for years and years, you know, people, adults change, they go through lots of new experiences, but, you know, our basic sort of development has pretty much, you know, it's fairly fixed. But when you think about a little kid who's changing, you know, every day, um, it's, it's important that we be tuned in, you know, to observe that. And I think the, the, um, the sort of carrot, you know, rather than just dangling a stick in front of people, the carrot is that, you know, the quality of relationship will improve when you actually are more present. Uh, It makes parenting easier. So that's great news. The more present we are, the better our relationship. The better the relationship, the easier it is to parent. Boom. And like she says, we need to step up our observation game in a non-judgmental, relaxed way. 
I also love what she says about recognizing that our children are changing. I find that to be so comforting, especially when I'm not particularly fond of the stage my child is in. (laughs) Because as many of you listeners know, Sabrina has preferred her father for a very long time, which as a mom podcast host, like that really gets my ego going. Because I'm like, how can I even have a podcast about parenting if I'm not the favorite? So she would push me away and it would hurt my feelings and I'd feel rejected. But all the experts on Atomic Mom say again and again about a lot of different things, do not take it personally. And I've actually had this conversation with Jennifer Waldberger. Are you guys enjoying that separation anxiety uh, series, by the way? Part two is coming up soon. Anyway, okay. So because of these experts, I learned to treat every morning like Groundhog Day. I would go into her room expecting her to give me a big hug and everything being awesome. And some days she would push me away and yell for dad. And some days she would give me the biggest squeeze. And right now we're in this awesome stage where she's absolutely wild about me. Like Adam got her up this morning and she ran into our bedroom and she sang Frozen. And then she said, Mama, I have a secret. And then she leaned into my ear to whisper, I love you so much. So thank God I've been treating it like Groundhog Day. Thank God I didn't go in with all my baggage. What I'm learning is give a little space. Leave my ego at the door. Recognize, like Erica says, that she is changing every day and every moment. Don't drag the past in with me. And then, of course, the final excerpt I'll be sharing from our Erica Christakis interview is it's about our children's natural rhythms. And it's about how there are a lot of things I do to put too much pressure on my relationship with my child. There are too many activities. There are too many birthday parties. And I'm learning that it's a lot easier to say no to the birthday parties if I remember that our relationship is what matters most of all. So if it's something that is going to tweak out our relationship, then I'll say no to the party. Because if it's going to be like 4.30 across town and my daughter's going to be stressed out in the car for an hour uh, and I'm going to lose my mind, the party's not worth it. I'll send an extra big present. Okay, so here is what Erica has to say about the use of time. So many of the problems we have with little kids, I think, have to do with our rushing them. You know, we don't give them the time to just do stuff on their own timetable. And, you know, whether your child is in childcare or whether you're with, at home with your child, um, you know, there are ways we can slow down and sort of open up the schedule and be less, um, you know, vigilant in terms of like making kids jump through hoops to do certain things at certain times. But it takes a shift, you know, where we, I think we've all been programmed to think that if we have a schedule packed with activities that that somehow means that we're like a good parent or a good teacher. And so we have to kind of slow down and have more faith in kids that, you know, sometimes less really is more. And now parenting coach Roma Katarpal, another guest on Atomic Moms, agrees. And in our interview together, she gives two simple and effective tools for strengthening our relationships. Roma Katarpal is the author of The Perfect Parent, Five Tools for Using Your Inner Perfection to Connect with Your Kids, which recently won the Nautilus Book Award that represents better books for a better world. 
And so uh, let's take five with Roma. The, one of my favorite quotes that you have is in regards to being present with your children and not just with, you know, helping with the moving stuff. Sure. <laughs> but um, if you're using most, you say, if you're using most of your energy to do stuff for your kids, then you'll have that much less energy to, to be, be with them, to just be there for them. Mm-hmm. So can you discuss your take five approach. Of course, of course. So take five is taking that five minutes a day to do nothing, no thing, absolutely nothing with your kids. Um, And it's interesting because when I teach that in my parenting workshops, more often than not, um, you know, I have these amazing questions that come out from parents like, so what are we supposed to do in that time? Are we not like supposed to talk? Are we just supposed to sit there? What do you do when you just sit there? You're going to do something. Should we run around and play a game? And, you know, this whole concept of doing nothing is so alien to us, right? Especially the young parent who is multitasking like yourself, Ellie. Um, taking those five minutes to commit to commit without an agenda to really commit there to do nothing grows into this fabulous space um, to come together, to commune. And communication, I believe, the base word is commune, is to come together. And uh, unless we free up our time, it's not going to happen. How important is that? And the conversations that uh, moms and parents have come back with, I'm, I'm holding a, a mom and dad uh, workshop at uh, Montessori School in Fontana, and our you know second session is tomorrow. Um, and one of the most important things that comes out of these, these parent classes is that um, making that free time for children is so hard. And really, that should be the number one thing on our list is that free time without an agenda, without doing anything. And it really, if you don't do that, then it robs you from really being present in the moment. And our focus shifts from doing things than being there for them. Uh, To piggyback on that, I really love what you were talking about in the book with in regards to listening, because it's not even it's not just about taking five every day so that we can be present with our children without an agenda. But when we are communicating with our children to also take note if we have an agenda then Mm -hmm. and sometimes the best thing to do is to let them talk it out themselves and to just listen. Yes. And I think with our kids, we're so used to jumping in and helping them resolve. And um, in other words, interrupting their conversation with what we want to say to them, that it doesn't really let them complete their thoughts. And it was hard. You know, I took that uh, Eckhart Tolle and Oprah webcast. It was uh, the first webinar of its kind, uh, New Earth. It was on the book New Earth. And I think I was one of a million people signed on uh, worldwide. It was fabulous. And and they talked about human behavior and listening. And I thought, I've got to apply this on my on my children and see how that works. My daughter had gone off to college by then. But I have to tell you, you know, really listening mindfully, actively, word for word for word, letting them complete their sentence was hard in my head. You know, it was hard because I realized how quickly we jump in to help children resolve things. This is awesome. Sometimes I feel like I'm a therapist with my kid, like I'm just letting her figure it out on her own. Um, and with a two and a half year old, she comes up with some pretty interesting conclusions. Um, Actually, side note, yesterday she pointed to the bougainvillea in the backyard and she goes, I made those flowers when I was a fairy. (laughs) But isn't that great advice? Like even if we're having our husband or our wife or our partner 
or a friend is having an issue, like if we could just shut up and let them speak, part of the healing experience is just that they're being heard and then they can find the answers within themselves. Uh, and then we just get to seem super supportive and awesome and like extra smart, even though they figured it out. And um, instead of getting paid like a therapist, we get paid in like hugs and love and respect. And it's awesome. So moving on, our final excerpt today comes from my interview with Susan Stiffelman. She is the author of Parenting with Presence and Parenting Without Power Struggles. Take it away, Susan. So my work is also very much based on attachment and fortifying and developing a deep and abiding attachment with our kids from infancy, the moment that they're our, you know, born all the way through adulthood. I have a 25-year-old and I'm still building attachment and strengthening attachment and connection. I'm not parenting, but I'm, I still have this, you know, amazing relationship, just like with my husband, we're always building attachment. So when we are outside of attachment with someone, we are not inclined to cooperate with them or be subject or influenced by them. And that's a good thing. You don't want your kids to be influenced by strangers who may not have their best interests at heart. Now, some may, but but in general, the wiring is that we are are inclined to be friendly and cooperate with and try to please people that we feel close to. That's just very basic. And so when a child is chronically defiant or resistant or misbehaving, one of the things I'm always going to look at is does this child feel closely connected and attached with that parent? Do they feel liked by the parent? Do they feel enjoyed by the parent? Do they feel cherished and seen as as is, not you know, constantly told how they should be different or better? And so micro-rejections is a term one of my clients actually used when she was talking about those little scowling faces, expressions, you know, um, or the you know, the grimace or the unfriendly kind of gesture or comment or tone that does the opposite of helping the child feel liked and seen and cherished. Just this little subtle rejection. It's not necessarily the big stuff that we can all add up and remember. If you were spanked or, or hurt as a child or humiliated on a regular basis, right, you'll maybe... Remember those, they, they're they big, but these small little micro-rejections where um, the child shows us something that she's done and we sort of you know, don't really say anything or we frown about it. Now, believe me, I am not suggesting in any way that everything our child does, we should just, you know, praise and I, I'm not into that at all. I don't think we should set ourselves up to, you know, constantly tell our kids that they walk on water or that. They're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I just, <laughs> it's off-putting to me. But but when our child leaves an exchange from us, with us, feeling less than somehow, feeling diminished, feeling unseen, that adds up, those micro moments. And similarly, when you have a moment with your child that's just friendly. I did a webinar last week um, on why kids are often so angelic and perfect when they're at other people's houses or they're uh -huh. at school and then they're just like terrors at home. And it was a really great webinar. I think we're going to make it available to people who, um, 
who opt in. We'll, we'll figure My out. My mom a way. had a phrase for it: something uh, public angel or something, and then house <laughs> devil. Have you ever heard that? That's so cute. And that's I was really like, "Thanks cute. a lot, mom." House devil. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's strong, but it's yeah. cute. I called it. I think in one of my the promotions they put a little devilish, because kids aren't ever mm-hmm. just one thing. But I had a whole hour with people talking about this phenomena, and one of the things I talked about was that um, I asked parents on this webinar because there's a live interactivity, what percent of the interactions you have with your children are friendly, are just friendly, versus either criticizing or trying to get them to do something or stop doing something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had people in the 80, 90%, most of my interactions are critical <laughs> or about getting them to do something, do a task, help me get something checked off the list, homework, bath, shower, dinner, you know. Right. Or and, and so, sometimes even when it's a, a positive thing, I remember when I, uh, got a role in a mo- my first role in a movie and I called my mom and I was so excited. I was like, I, mm-hmm. you know, I got this small part in this movie and it's how exciting. And she was like, that's great. Now go get the next one. And you're like, Oh yeah, exactly. Great so example. Even when it's super positive moment uh-huh. and they think they're matching you, sometimes they feel like it's like, no, you're, now you're trying to top me or you're just like putting me back on that treadmill. Like we need this right. moment. Let's like, right, right. this is the win because the next right. one's not going to come for a bit. Right. It's never enough. Like we're never yeah. quite enough. Like you got to be plus. Now, what can we do to get you an A? Yes. Yeah. So when kids feel that they can never quite just be who they are and be accepted and loved and enjoyed as they are, which is our projection onto them, our desperate need for them to be something else so that we feel better. Um, it's an impossible thing and it, and it dilutes what I call the pH of the relationship that we have. You know, I imagine that we have a relationship with our kids and that when, if you had a cylinder, let's say of liquid and that liquid chemistry wise, the pH was too acidic. You don't bring it back to neutral by adding, by uh, taking out acid, right? You Mm -hmm. have to bring it to neutral by adding alkaline or base. So when you have a relationship with a child and and we say that the pH of that relationship is acidic, then you're going to see a kid who ignores you, tunes you out, has tantrums and meltdowns on a regular basis when you ask her to do something, is just not in a cooperative frame of mind with you because the pH is too acidic. Now, you don't change that by removing things. You change it by adding attachment Basically, you help change the pH of a relationship, and this is true for any relationship, by having more loving, enjoyable, friendly interactions with that person. And automatically, that relationship changes. Here's an example with you and me. Okay, we met, right, Mm -hmm. at, at a conference. And let's say that we met very briefly, and the bulk of my interactions with you were about my books and about my websites and about my work and maybe some things that you should do differently in your <laughs> podcast, right? Uh-huh. Things you hadn't asked for. And by the way, I can't think of a thing, but right? right. How would you walk away from that relationship with me? Um, I'd feel a little icky or I'd feel insecure, probably personally. I would and feel shaken. And then if I called you up and I said, listen, defensive. I'd really love it if you would blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'd love it if you pitched all my stuff on your show. But yeah. I'll just send you the links or what. Right, right. 
And you'd be like, really? Right? Yeah. But we had dinner together. Like we, mm-hmm. we, you know, I think of you first and foremost as a new friend way before mm-hmm. I think of the work that you do. And hopefully you feel that because that's how I do my work. Like I just want to work with people who I enjoy, who I like, you know, it's such a treat. It's such a pleasure. Mm. I'm and smiling so, really big right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because we live in the same town and we have similar sensibilities. Oh, it's a new friend. You're so cool. So the work thing is sort of a cherry on top for me, but I don't, my life is too short to make it about pushing myself on people or, or, yeah, I just can't do it. That's the bottom line. And so in the context of a friendship, if I were to say to you, even if I were to say something outside of work, like, gosh, Ellie, I really want your advice on this outfit that I'm thinking of wearing. Or if you asked me, because there's a feeling of friendship, if you said, you know, you know, I'm thinking of wearing this to this awards thing, uh, what do you think? And I said, well, you want my opinion. You're much more likely to receive it and act on it and take it and be interested in it if you feel that I like you as a person, that most of our interactions are are about our connection. And they're friendly, as opposed to if all of our interactions were me criticizing you or critiquing you, and then I said, oh, you're going to wear that, right. right? You'd probably wear it just to spite me. <laughs> yeah, and that's teenagers, right? Exactly. Okay, so if you're curious about hearing more on attachment, check out my recent separation anxiety episode with Jennifer Waldberger. Okay, to summarize what I'm hearing from all of these excerpts and their from all of these experts and their excerpts. I mean, why did I do that to myself? Anyway, okay. Proximity does not equal closeness. Back off, right? That's what I'm saying. Back off. Stop hovering. Observe without judgment. Give them the space to figure things out on their own. Let them know you love them just as they are. Let them feel cherished. Treat every interaction like it's the first time with optimism and positivity, because today might be the day she prefers you over daddy. That's my personal experience. No matter what, today is the day that we have the opportunity to strengthen our parent-child connection. So until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on. Come on, guys, rock on. (laughs) I'm like getting delirious. It's so hot in this closet. Rock on, Atomic Moms.